of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Not quite sure how this candy found its way onto my Bible. Um, I do know in the Bible somewhere it says, taste and see the, the Lord is good, but uh, somebody decided to leave me a gift of Starburst, it looks like, so whatever. Maybe they thought I needed energy. You know, the hardest part of applying for any job is to fill out your resume. Uh, at least it is for some people. Uh, it's not very easy, it seems, to summarize one's gifts or talents or accomplishments like that on a, on a single page. In fact, some people, when they make out a resume, they need about three or four pages. Other people um, could probably do it on a cocktail napkin. Uh, and then there's some who just plain simple get it right. I can't get it right. A friend told me once about a resume that he had for somebody who was a, applying for the position of editor, and he misspelled the word editor. Well, let's take a look at a few of these things here. we got a few of them up here on the screen. They'll be up here eventually. You know, we're looking for people who have a strong work ethic, attention to detail, team players, self-motivated, and... Well, okay, attention to detail. Do you notice anything there? Attention to detail was listed twice. Now, people usually list their previous jobs and summarize their responsibilities. Take a look at this one. One man wrote, I'm a perfectionist and rarely, if ever, overlook details. Okay. Let's take another look at another one. Another person listed his job responsibilities as included cleaning the restrooms and seeing the customers. <laughs> here's, here's another one. Uh, a guy said my responsibilities included working with clients and taking their odors. Now, uh, maybe he worked with the previous guy. I don't know. Now, when people don't have a lot of job experience, they try to impress people with their accomplishments. For example, this one, you know, special skills. This guy said he watered, groomed, and fed the family dog for five years. Or try this one. My experience in horticulture is well-rooted. At least that one's clever. Or how about another one? I can say the ABCs backwards in less than five seconds. That would get you a job, wouldn't it, Jason, in the workplace? Yeah. Now, a lot of employees want to know what you did in your last job. Well, this guy said my last employer insisted that all employees get to work by 845 every morning. I couldn't work under those conditions. Here's another one. The company made me a scapegoat, just like my three previous employees. <laughs> Here's another one. I like this one. Being in trouble with the law, I moved quite frequently. <laughs> Please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I have never quit a job. <laughs> you know, and salary requirements? I need just enough money to have pizza every night. And finally, one person concluded his application with, I am extremely loyal to my present firm, so please don't let them know of my immediate availability. Now, I'm just saying, is, you know, writing a resume is not as easy as it looks, but it's absolutely necessary, and it's a good exercise for every applicant, because everybody should know their strengths, they should know their weakness, or we might call them growth areas, or gifts, or graces, or talents, and skills, and the and really the kind of work that you are really cut out to do. So today we're going to talk about putting together our leadership resume, if you will. We are called to be disciples, and we ought to be disciple makers. So what ought to be on our resume? Now, we're in this third week of our series that I'm calling Apprentice You, 
It's about how to prepare for your ultimate job interview. In other words, how to prepare yourself to be used by God in a great way. Now, Timothy, we know, was Paul's apprentice. Paul nurtured him, encouraged him, trained him. And in this series, what I'm hoping to do through God's word is to encourage you to be Paul's apprentice and to learn from him the same lessons that Timothy learned under his tutelage. Now, Jimmy kind of explained a little bit of this in his introduction today, but in chapter 3, Paul talks about three the qualifications of a leader, and he starts out by talking about three different roles for leaders. Let's take a look at him. Here's the first one. He talks about an overseer. Uh, some translations use the word bishop in their translation. Some people actually use the word elder. Now, he's not specifically talking here about a pastor. He's talking about people who are the decision makers within the congregation. Now, for example, here at First Lutheran Church, the decision makers tend to be, I suppose, me, uh, our board of elders who deal with the spiritual decision making, if you will, and then our our um, leadership board that takes care of like the financial and the legal affairs of this congregation. These are people who are responsible for spiritually and otherwise steering the church in the right direction. Now, this is not only some people who get elected, but it's also other people who influence. He talks about deacons, which is not a word that we often use in our church. Uh, the Greek word for deacon, diakonet, or diakonia, literally means servant. And in some churches, they actually have elders. In some churches, they have deacons. I mean, down in the, the churches in Angola, they have guys who function as deacons. The word literally means servant. Now, I want to tell you this, that we, while we don't use this title in our church, every last one of us has the responsibility of this word. We are still called to be servants, whether we call them deacons or not. And then lastly, he talks about women. Now, we kind of jumped on women a little bit last week and uh, helped you sort out a few of these things about how women should be silent in the church and what that really meant. Now, most translations don't have the word women particularly, but they use the word wives. But the, the very literal translation is women. And in one commentary I read, it says, uh, it explains why Paul wasn't speaking about the wives of deacons. He was speaking about deaconesses. And even in our denomination, we have people that we call deaconesses. These are generally female servants or leaders. And there apparently were deaconesses in the early Ephesian church. Now, the bottom line in this whole chapter, as we read it, is this. There, there are qualifications for you to be in leadership. There are qualifications that you ought to meet if you're going to count yourself as being a disciple. If you're going to be a disciple maker, maybe there are some qualifications that you ought to have before you get kind of turned loose on other people. And even though he talks about three different areas, overseers, deacons, and women, uh, and because many of the qualifications kind of overlap, I'm just going to take the liberty of mixing them all together this morning. It gives us kind of an idea of what ought to be on our spiritual resume. You know, what are the rocks on which we build as we disciple, get discipled, and become disciple makers? And as we go through this checklist this morning, I want you to evaluate yourself. You get that? I want you to evaluate yourself in each area. I say that because there are some of you, I think, who may be tempted to evaluate other people. You wouldn't do that, would you? Yeah, I'd say focus on yourself. 
I mean, is this, is this an area that we're going to talk about that you're totally lacking in? Is this an area that you're really good in? Or is this an area maybe that you're okay, but you could really stand to grow a little bit? And let me warn you, this is a really tough list. Nobody here will have a perfect score. Regardless, though, 1 Timothy gives us a set of guidelines. So let's take a look at it. Here's the guidelines. The first thing he said is a leader, a disciple, a disciple maker. Their personal life ought to be in order. Now, if somebody hung a sign around your neck, would it say, out of order? <laughs> would it say, open for business? Or one of my favorite signs is, sorry, we're open. I saw that on a restaurant one time. <laughs> Somebody made a mistake somewhere. Sorry, we're open. Now, he talks about different areas that we have to have in order. Here's area number one. He said your, your personal life includes how you handle your emotions. He says that a, a leader, a disciple, ought to be a temperate kind of person. It's kind of interesting. The Greek literally means wineless. Now, not wineless like, no, don't whine all the time, but actually... You know, that kind of wineless. Now, he's not really talking about alcohol here. He is just employing some words here in kind of a, well, I, the only word I can think of is a big word here, uh, metaphorical. <laughs> I don't think of what that means or come up with a smaller word, but it comes in a kind of a metaphorical usage, which means that a leader here really ought to be able to control his or her emotions. They ought to be alert and clear, clear-headed. That means you're in charge of you. A leader doesn't live according to whim, not driven by emotions. Paul said this leader also is not violent. Literally, that word violent says, you know, that you, it is one who doesn't hit. Doesn't hit. Now, of course, it can be taken literally. Uh, a leader in God's kingdom. I mean, you wouldn't want to see as people left the door, they left the church in the morning, the pastor standing at the front door, and when he saw somebody who was out of line, punch him in the face. I seriously doubt that you'd want to see that and or experience that. It can also be figuratively, meaning you don't lash out at people. You just don't get instantaneously angry at people, verbally or whatever. You're gentle. That's what he's saying. He's kind of describing a person who lives life on kind of an even keel. They're in control of their temper control in the aspects of their emotional life. They don't blow up. They don't chase pipe dreams. They're clear-headed. In other words, he or she, this disciple, whoever this is, is stable. Stable. Now, here's area number two. Your personal life should also include how you manage your relationships. Paul says, first of all, that this person is hospitable. Now, I've often said about my wife that if you were to look up the word hospitality, you'd probably see your picture there uh, next to it in the dictionary. There are some people who have this gift of hospitality. But Paul here, the Greek word literally means loving strangers, loving strangers. Now, I've known a lot of people who really want to be leaders, uh, but they don't really like people. When I was associated with schools as a teacher, I knew a lot of people who talked, but they hated the kids. And, you know, if they didn't hate the kids, they hated the parents who brought the kids. And I even know a few pastors who really can't stomach some of the people in their church. Well, this says, you know, you ought to love everybody. 
But the truth is, God does not need a whole lot more scholars in his church. He doesn't need a whole lot more entrepreneurs in his church. He doesn't need a whole lot more soldiers in his church. What he really needs are people who love people enough to lead them. I'm going to take you back four and a half years when uh, we were deciding whether to come here to be your pastor. And essentially, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this, that as we were going home, we kind of decided what it was that we would do should we come here. And it really involved like three things. One was preach the word, teach the word, and love the people. That was it. Didn't have any other grand plan of anything. And hopefully, uh, you might say, that's what Nancy and I have done. Well, we've been here, preaching the word, teaching the word, whether it be men or women or whatever, and, and hopefully loving you as best as we can. That's part of what we are called to do. That's also part of what you are called to do. Here's a third area. Your personal life includes how you conduct yourself. Paul says that a leader is the husband of one wife. Now, a lot of people think he's talking about polygamy, you know, people who are married to a whole bunch of women or divorce or a, a ban on single people. I've heard is this, uh, pastor ought to be the husband of but one wife. That means you either have to have one or if you had one, you don't have one anymore. You're disqualified. Well, uh, that's a bunch of nonsense. Paul is not talking about marital status here. What he's really talking about here is what we would call fidelity. The Greek phrase Paul uses is literally a one-woman man. A one-woman man. It's the same terminology that Paul is going to use a little bit later, a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 5, when he says a woman, having been faithful to her husband, it has to do with fidelity and not necessarily marital status. This means that if you've got a Christian leader, a Christian disciple, and you're married, then you need to be devoted to your wife. She needs to be devoted to her husband. Neither one of them is looking anywhere else. And if a Christian leader, a Christian disciple happens to be single, it means that he or she manages their social relationships with godly, biblical integrity. Paul also says here that a leader is not given to drunkenness, and I don't know that that needs to be given much exposition. also says he's not to be a lover of money, and he really hammers this hard when we get to chapter 6. But for right now, I just want to tell you something. And I think the worst part about loving money, this is, this is for me, this did not fall off of Mount Sinai. This is just kind of what I see in my own life and the lives of other people. But the worst part about loving money is that it robs you of the joy of being contented in Jesus. See, when this car is not good enough or when this house is not good enough or when these clothes are not good enough or this furniture is not good enough, what happens is you, you don't really experience the contentment that God gives his people. You know, that passage that used to say, you know, having food and raiment or having, having food and clothes, be content, be content. See, when a, a person loves money above all else, they're liable to abandon their integrity in all sorts of ways, including moving God down a notch or two. Now, Paul talks a lot about the personal life. So if you think about how God can use you for his glory, I mean, you need to take a look at yourself. I need to take a look at myself as I look at these things. 
and evaluate myself and then start thinking about how you can improve, how I can improve. Now, here's his second big major point. He said a leader is comfortable with the responsibility of influence. You know that every last one of you is an influencer. Katie, you may remember a conversation we had this last week when we met. And we talked about the difficulty of being a pastor or a DCE intern. For example, I get you all for about an hour, some of you two, two hours a week. And then you walk out into the rest of the world and other people are then shaping you. And some of you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord, and walk right out and shout Jesus Christ and not have anything to do with church. Katie gets kids on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, and they can walk right back out into homes that completely unwrap the entire package that she has delivered to them. That's just the way it goes. We all influence. Some of us have more chances to influence than others. But, but this, is, this is the point here. All leadership, whether you like it or not, is it about influence. Paul tells Timothy, you've got to look for people who know how to influence other people positively. Now, where does that start? Anybody have a vague idea where influencing people positively should start? You want to venture a guess? How about at home? Well, because it says it right here. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do it in a manner worthy of full respect. And if you can't manage your own family, how can you manage, you know, other things, you know, God's own church? And I tell you what's difficult about leadership at home is everybody at home knows you. You know, you may be the nicest person on the job site. You may be the nicest person in your classroom. But you may not walk that talk when you're inside the house. See, if you don't have a positive influence on the people closest to you, I'm not sure how you can have positive influence on those a little bit further. That's why Paul said you need to have a good reputation with outsiders. Be respectable, above reproach. You know, be in a position where you could influence other people. Be comfortable with that responsibility. Now, some people don't share the gospel with other people. Why? Because they don't want the responsibility. No, disciples are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to take on that responsibility. It also said that a leader, a disciple, and, and this again, this is all of you. This is not just pastors or DCE interns. This is all of us must be able to teach. Now, it's obvious why this would, this would apply to a pastor or a DCE, but I want you to realize that this, this, this involves everybody. I always love it. I've had this happen to me a couple times as a pastor over 25 plus years. Oh, pastor, we're going to go to another church. We're just not getting fed here. You know what I want to tell them? Oh, grow up. Learn to feed yourself, for heaven's sakes. That's what I want to tell them. I mean, since when is it my responsibility to shove the bottle in your mouth Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? I'm sorry. You know, can't you learn to use a knife and a fork yourself? Don't you know how to open up your Bible and read it? <laughs> well, I don't understand it. Try. <laughs> you think I understood it the first time? I'm sorry, I'm just being cranky now. <laughs> but you get the point? You get the point? You know, everybody's called to influence others. 
teaching is about imparting information. It's about inspiring transformation. Now, every last one of us here today has probably had a teacher or two whose style of teaching was just to give you all the facts, take it or leave it, learn it or fail. Now, many of us, however, had a few teachers for whom teaching was a passion. I get a kick out of this. Every once in a while, I've had people say to me, man, you preach like you really believe this stuff. Duh. Yeah. You've had people like it. They were able to take a kind of a dry subject like history or mathematics or science or even religion and somehow make it come alive. I mean, some of you today are doing what you do in your own careers based on people who influenced you because of the passion they had for something in their life. I mean, teachers, whether you're teaching somebody how to you know, play music or whether you're teaching them how to read or teaching them how to just be wonderful citizens within the community, we need to master the art of communication. That's what he's saying. Disciples are called to do that. Here's the third thing. A leader has been at it long enough to have a history. Paul says he must not be a recent convert. Uh, Otherwise, he gets conceited, fall into the same judgment of the devil. He also said he needs to have a good reputation with outsiders, won't fall into disgrace. About deacons in verse 10, he said he must be tested. If there's nothing against him, let him serve as a deacon. He just saying that you don't get this way overnight. Again, I'm going to go back to something people have said to me periodically. They said, I wish I knew the Bible like you do. Guess what? You can. I mean, do you think I was born with what I know? I mean, I was dumb as a stump when I was born. I had to learn it. It took me a while. I mean, how many times, you know, you know some people are like, well, how, how can I ever get to know what you know about the Bible? Well, same way I got to know about it. It's called reading it, studying it, reading it again, studying it again. It's something you grow into takes time. takes time. It also takes consensus. If you're, if you're leadership material, other people are going to say, hey, that, person, that person's good. They can do this. And Paul says, you know, above reproach, good reputation, respectable. They're just descriptions that come with people who have consistently good behavior. See, consistent. That's what God's looking for. You know, we are called to do the right things and do the, make the right decisions day after day. If, if that leader isn't perfect, well, that's okay. That's part of our sinful life. But God says, keep working at it because it's over time that you get control of some of these things. Now, I come from a sporting background, having coached for many years. And, and I know that you don't judge a, a baseball player, for example, on the basis of a single at-bat. You don't, you know, if, if I were in finance, I'd also say you don't judge an investment stock on the basis of a single day's performance. If you want to know the true value of a baseball player, a football player, basketball, whatever, or an investment or whatever, you look at its overall performance over a period of time. A couple weeks ago we said it's really not very important where you are today as a disciple. I would say it really matters which direction your feet are facing and are you making any progress. Some people walk faster than others. Some people, it takes a little bit more time. See, the question is not, did he strike out when the bases are loaded? The question is, how did he perform 
over the course of his career. I mean, one of the greatest home run hitters of all time, Babe Ruth, I think probably still has the major league record for striking out. But over time, that's how you determine. That's why it's crucial for disciples, you and me, to have an established history, to build a track record where we don't get stuck. I'll take you back to some people who think there's a time when you're done. When I was uh, principal of a grade school in Indiana a number of years ago, last day of school, I happened to walk out in the hallway, and I looked down the hallway, and I saw a young boy on the far end, and he was playing basketball with books and stuff, and he would kind of run, and he just slammed that stuff in the garbage can. And he got, when I got down there, I started walking down to see what he was doing, and he was tearing stuff in half and just throwing it in the trash can, having a great old time. When I got closer... I noticed he had Luther's small catechism in his hand, ripped it in half, slammed, dumped that baby in there, and then he had his hymnal and his Bible yet, and I yelled at him, Chucky, what on earth are you doing? And you know what this eighth grader told me? I'm just getting rid of stuff I don't need anymore. I got it. Any of you been quite that bold? Oh, you're not outwardly that bold. But some people think they've kind of arrived. Don't need to be in Bible study anymore. Don't need to be in prayer anymore. Don't really need to be in church all that much. Don't really need to be a lot of stuff. I just, I, I'm in, I'm going to coast all the way home. That's sad. History proves consistency. Consistency leads to great disciples. Friends, and I'd also call you fellow leaders in the church because all of us are leaders in this place one way or another. We're all disciples. We're all called to be disciple makers. We need to demonstrate and work on three valuable qualities. Let me say them one last time. Character. Your personal life needs to be in order emotionally, relationally, and behaviorally. Communication. We need to be people who are comfortable with the responsibility of sharing the Word of God, influencing other people in positive ways, not just in our classrooms, but in our homes and in society. And consistency. To be at this long enough and keep working at it. This is what God is looking for. You know, the Army always says he's looking for a few good men, or the Marines say they're looking for a few good men or women. I mean, God is saying, I'm looking for a few good people here. That, that I can prepare to use as part of our role as disciples. God wants to use every last one of us, all the way from those, you know, the littlest baby that's here this morning, all the way to the oldest person. Still wants to use you. Still wants to disciple you. Still wants you to disciple other people. That's why I say, look at those three things. Spend some more time this week in First Timothy. Yeah, don't say, well, I heard Jimmy read it once in church. I heard Pastor kind of talk about it once in church. You go back and be some Bereans and go back and read this one more time. Evaluate yourself on each standard and then prayerfully consider ways in which you can become better qualified to serve God and the purpose that he has called you to. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.